going back to our roots. We're going back to traditional letters where instead of me giving a halacha share that is tied to one sentence that Rebbe said, we're just going to read a letter because this letter gives us an incredible insight in how the Rebbe handles uh, children becoming thrum, which would ultimately become an enormous issue for the Babich, but I'm not sure how big a deal it was in Tav Shin Lam and Gimel. This is probably a little more rare. I didn't expect to find the characters in this story. There's an address at the top that it's to a Dr. Dreyfus, and he does mention the name of the child, Nisanel, but I didn't know who Nisanel Dreyfus was. By mistake, I found articles on him, multiple articles on him. Nisanel Dreyfus is a fair... Anybody know who he is? Anybody know the name Nisanel Dreyfus? Nisanel Dreyfus was a shliach. So uh, this boy in this story, um, giving away the ending, this boy grows up to be Rabbi Nisanel Dreyfus. Uh, he grew up to be one of the Rebbe's first shluchim in, in Netanya. Uh, his father was an academic. He was a Barilan intellectual type from France who had made Aliyah when Nisanel was 16. They moved to Katamon. Almost immediately upon arrival, Nisanel gets very excited about Chabad and goes to uh, Teres Emes. He goes to Yeshiva there. He comes home, and you know what it's like when they come home from Yeshiva. He comes home, and he has a beard and a hat, and he has all the Chabad and Hagim, and he's driving his father absolutely up the wall. So his father writes to the Rebbe and says, my son's driving me crazy. What did you do to him? And we have here the Rebbe's response to that letter, what, how to handle his son's new Chumras. Uh, the story ends happily, I guess. I don't know how the relationship with his son ended, but the story ends happily enough in that this boy becomes a prominent Shliach of the Rebbe. Uh, who ultimately learns in 770 and goes on to be a shaliach in Netanya. So that's the background and the foreground. The other background that we have, I wish Mendel was here. I was hoping that he'd talk us through the letter that he posted in the chat that I think kind of pings off of this. Uh, if you look in the chat, you'll see that we have a we have a letter there, or a couple letters there about the Rebbe's rather unique approach to Kibbut Avim. The Rebbe does not necessarily, to, to vastly oversummarize, the Rebbe does not necessarily feel that we have to do everything our parents say just that we have to be respectful to them. And that's, uh, those are two different things. We don't, have to, uh, we don't have to have our lives ruled by our parents. We just have to be nice about it when we disagree. So the Rebbe has that shita there, and you should take some time to read it. For us, let's just read the letter. My, my, my letter is in Russian. Is that, is that, I'm guessing, a mistake? Yeah, that is a mistake. You shouldn't have a letter in Russian. Um, this letter is in Hebrew. It should be on page Kuflamid Gimel. What, what number are you looking at on your page? I'm the olive, so I just have to go over yeah, just take the link that I put in just now, and that should be... You hit previous instead of next. Ah. I didn't hit anything, but... Um, I see. Yeah, okay, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Thank you. Okay. And the page on Hebrew Books is 174, because, you know, nothing's ever coordinated. It's the bottom, and <laughs> you get you get used to it. Now that I've been doing this with you guys for a little while, I've gotten used to the Rebbe style. If he's really going to talk, it's in a PS. That's the rule. The Rebbe answers, then you get these long PSs. So here's the Rebbe's answer. He writes back to Dr. Dreyfus, who had complained about his son's chumros, I received your letter. I hope that you get everything you want, Latevan, all in Yanum that you write about. He gives him a bracha. I hope that you get real nachas, nachas, yodi terasi. You should get a Yiddisha, a Tera nachas, mi banam nasano, specifically from your child, nasano shechia. This child you're writing about in the letter, I'm giving you a bracha, you get nachas from him. Real Jewish Tera nachas. This is probably necessary to write because I believe I read while I was researching his father, I think I came across the fact that he wasn't just an academic in Bar-Ilan, he was like a Jewish thought academic. So we have here uh, somebody who's very dedicated to Judaism and not necessarily as dedicated to Torah Judaism. So this line here, Nachas Yehudi Terasi, is I think uh, supposed, to, supposed to drive home a point, that he should get proper Nachas from Nisano. And this bracha came true, as we've discussed. You guys have the merit that you're found in Eretz Yisrael. Says there, I hope you get this Nachas. Because uh, especially because you're living in the land of Israel where God's constantly watching, the Chavad of Avracha, and hit next at the top of your page, and we have our mega PS. Hmm. Got it? There we go. 
very, very much the Rebbe style. Here's your bracha now. Here's my point. P.S. First of all, this is something that bothers Hirsch every time, so I'd like to repeat it because I like bothering Hirsch. We don't write French in this office. I don't know. It comes up in like every letter. says, Therefore, I'm writing back to you in Lashon Akedish. But if you want in the future, you can write to me in French. I can read French. And then you can tell me what language you want to receive my response in. I can write back to you in, in Lashon Akedish, in Yiddish or in English. But I can't write back in French. I can only read in French. That's the rule in the Rebbe's office. That is a recurring theme this year. I guess a lot of French people were writing to him. Unclear if he eventually got someone in the office who could write French. You wrote about your son's chumros. All these, all these uh, stringencies he took upon himself and the effect, presumably the negative effect, that, is ha- that, is, that it's uh, having on the relationship that you use that you have with him. Because first of all, I don't get involved in these sorts of things unless I've heard both sides. Nisano hasn't spoken to me. I can't really weigh in on the specific dynamics of your family. But I nonetheless like to raise a couple points that I think are important that have nothing to do with uh, whether I've heard both sides of the argument, just general points about the state of youth. I'm, I'm paraphrasing because that's what he's about to say. The Rebbe is going to make a couple general points about what youth are like, what young people are like, what chumras are like, what coolers are like, and what the Rebbe's general philosophy is, which is really very useful for us, because the Rebbe is saying, I'm not weighing in on a specific scenario, but I am giving you something broadly applicable. So this is sort of the opposite of what we find in a lot of letters. In a lot of letters, we leave the letter going, yeah, we got the Rebbe's advice, but who knows if it applies to everybody. Here the Rebbe is saying, I'm specifically saying the following as a general thing that I believe that does apply to everybody, because I don't know the details of your particular case. So this is the Rebbe's general take on how to deal with children and, and chumras. Point number one, certainly you know this guy's an intellectual, he studies Jewish thought, he knows, and uh, so you and I both know, says the Rebbe, that when it comes to a Jew taking on a Chumrah, if he does it three times, they might need, he might need to ask a Rav to get out of it, and even then they might not let him out of it, they have to decide whether, whether it makes sense to allow him out of the Chumras that he's taken on. That first point is probably just the Rebbe emphasizing that Chumras are not small things. A chumrah, either way, it might be he might be stuck with it, and it certainly is a big deal. So that's point number one. Chumras matter, and they matter so much that sometimes the rabbanim don't even let you out of them, even if you do ask them for a way out. Bayes, second point that I wants to make about chumras and the youth, etc. That certainly you know the difficulties of our time. And you certainly know the worldview of our children is in turmoil. There's no real strong walls separating camps anymore. I don't know exactly what he's referring to there, but I think it means that society is broken down, that there isn't, the, that there isn't um, a caste system so much anymore, and the children will yell at the parents, that uh, the divisions between chug and chug usually means like classes. So I think it means that between classes, there's been, there's been a, a breakdown of division. There's no order. Since we live in a world where all of the limitations we used to have are breaking down and there's no classes and there's no, there's no hierarchies anymore, Every time somebody puts up a wall, it's a good thing. Every wall in a world like this, we live in, live in a, and this has only gotten more true. That the, between the men more and the, women? I don't think so. I don't think he means between men and women. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, also between men and women. But no, I don't think he means that here. I think what he's saying is that the more the world, the, the, the more that the world mixes in that every day and every approach uh, is allowed, the more valuable a wall is when I put up a wall and say, I'm not going to do this. It used to be that there were certain things that people couldn't do. And nowadays, anybody can do anything they want. In a world that gets to be more and more, anyone can do whatever they want. It becomes increasingly important to put up a, a, a wall. I think that's what he means. He says that as the world's breaking down its barriers, it's important for us to be putting up barriers. 
if you read it differently, let me know or let me know in the chat. That's what I think he means here. If not, especially since we can't know whether these are going to last. I really don't know what that means. I think what he means is that we don't have to get so upset about each of these walls because first of all, the walls are helpful. Barriers are helpful in a world that has no barriers. And second of all, if you're worried about these barriers being things you're stuck with forever, maybe they won't be forever. So uh, there's nothing to be concerned about. That's how I'm reading it. But again, weird sentence. But when it comes to children or young people, it's very important to be careful. It's not always possible for an adult, especially, or including the parents, and the Rebbe says in parentheses, maybe even especially for the parents, because they're particularly they care more. It's hard to know exactly what effect your words or your changes or your pushes are going to have on children, especially your own children. Sometimes you move a single brick in the structure of your child, and you move a single brick and it knocks down the entire worldview of a child, especially when it comes to your own child, who people are sometimes less sensitive to, because they uh, are more sensitive to them and therefore less sensitive to the impacts of what they do. So what's the Rebbe saying in Bayes? I think he's saying two things. I think he's saying, first of all, that in a time where classes are breaking down and restrictions are breaking down, walls are valuable. Chumros are valuable, especially since a chumra might not be a permanent structure, it might just be a temporary thing that's put in there in order to prevent a bigger problem. And that when parents get involved and try to pick which chumras their children should be keeping and which things that their kids should be careful about, they're, not, they're never sure if the thing that they decide to move happens to be the bedrock on which the child's faith or worldview is based, and they can very easily knock down the entire building. I, I think that's what Bayes means. But again, if people disagree or have another reading of it, please put it in the chat or speak up in a moment. Gimel. Let's say that you were telling me, you're writing me to say that your child's too lenient. Especially if he has serious kulas, like he's, you know, really not being careful with halachah. That was what this letter was about. There, you would have to intervene because there's a commandment of you have to, um, you have to admonish people when they're doing something wrong. Then you would be fulfilling God's will by writing to me. There is no mitzvah to tell people to stop keeping chumras. So whereas there is room for a father to step in and say, uh, my son's my son's too lenient because that might be a mitzvah daris, and then we have to have a discussion. Uh, is this healthy for the child? Is this the time to step in? But at the very least, this is based on Torah, that a person, I'll be Torah in theory, has to admonish somebody who's being too lenient. There's nowhere in the Torah anywhere that it says that when someone's being too strict, you got to calm them down. That's not, a, that's not a thing. So it doesn't seem that this is based on any Torah obligation you might have as a father to calm him down. Thing number four, Dalit. The way of children nowadays, young people nowadays, is that they look for new stuff. That they uh, rebel against the establishment. <laughs> That's what people do. They want to rebel against the establishment, especially nowadays. Sometimes that rebellion is in the rebellion in the direction of a Torah Chumrah. Even though you're telling me that he is rebelling in the direction of Chumras and it has negative outcomes, you're, it's hurting your relationship. This is not the same as, as, as had his rebellion been toward a Kula. So in Dali, what that I was saying is that I understand that this is damaging your relationship. I understand you're not happy that he's rebelling. I understand you don't want a rebellious child. But you have to look in what direction he's rebelling. He could rebel toward a Chumra and could rebel toward a Kula. I'd be very concerned if he was rebelling in the lenient direction. Here he's rebelling in the Chumra direction. So it's a different discussion. Point number five. When a child does lean towards stringency and become more from, even though this is against the worldview of his parents, we have to turn the page, which for us means clicking. Next page. 
There is a a central sticking point to this to this uh, to this rebellion. Because I'll explain it when I finish this. What the Rebbe is saying here is that a child who is strict about halacha is likely to also be strict about honoring you because that's what this child does. So if you're dealing with a kula, this child's saying that he's not going to take Torah seriously. That's not something that should, that, that that should be a concern because the child who doesn't take Torah seriously also won't take the commandment onto your father and mother seriously. This child's saying, I want to take the whole Torah seriously. So yeah, it's going to damage your relationship and it's going to get in the way of all the things you want to do. But at the end of the day, there's one of these commandments, and he should also be strict with that. So there's reason to not be concerned and to the opposite, be glad that he's going to be strict with but that ends up, given since he works in Chinuch, you know, he's an academic, and since he has all sorts of problems in Chinuch, certainly this small amount of lines that I've written to you, given the importance of the topic, hopefully that'll be enough. I think that I've been saying here, you're an academic and you think about Chinuch all the time. So I trust that even though this is an important topic, me writing only a few lines will work because we're talking on the same page. You understand educating children. And I'm talking about educating children. So we're, we're in the same world on this. Um, I don't know what that is. It says that uh, it's my, it's, it may be God's will that ever says that you'll have nachas from everybody who comes, all of your future children and that, that, and that they should live. But to do a quick, let's do a quick chazar on what the Rebbe's four big points are when it comes to Chumrah's children and everything like that. And then I think we'll call it a day. His first point was that chumras are important, and sometimes you can't even get out of them. His second point was that in a world where the divisions are being torn down, chumras are important. And when you put them up, every single chumra you put up is valuable. And that a parent, especially a parent, but really any adult, but especially a parent, can't be sure when they knock somebody's chumra whether they're going to knock them off base entirely. I think this is a this is a, a muster that we can a muster that we can take in uh, in Fabrengans and likewise. That, uh, that we do have an urge to knock down each other's chumras, that's for sure. There's a, there's, it's one of our styles, right? You see somebody, um, I mean, I, I, rem- I remember, I remember uh, making all sorts of fun of people, of people when I was in Yeshiva University and people used to dab in, you know, with, uh, with the fists and the eyes quenched, quenched tight. I used to have a field day with them. They were saying here, you can't really be sure when you knock down somebody's craziness, whether you are knocking down a craziness that, they, that their entire religion's built on. So you got to be careful what bricks you push. I understand that false things are good to knock out, but at the same time, a chumra is a chumra. So I don't know. We used to make fun of Yashan all the time, too. I, there, a lot of these things that I was saying, some chumras end up being the basis of the Yiddish game. We have to be careful about knocking them, especially when it's our own children. Uh, point number three. Someone said um, based on Yashan. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that either, but... But at the same time, you know, I, I think that there's a, there's a school of thought that would say someone's Yiddishkeit based on a beard. I don't know. And that very much is the bedrock of a lot of our, a lot, that's like our core humra. So it's hard, it's hard to know exactly what lies at someone's root. And I think that I was saying you'd be very cautious when you knock someone's humras, because you might, especially a child's, because you might be knocking them entirely off base, especially your own child. We should all be lucky enough to have children who give us the problem of being too machner. Um, his third point was that, uh, that we don't, that there's a mitzvah in the Torah to stop people from being mako, but there's no mitzvah to stop them from being machmer. So we're not really having a Torah discussion here and we're talking about limiting a chumrah. His fourth point had been that children want to rebel against the establishment and they're going to rebel one way or another. They're either going to be more strict or more lenient. It's better they turn out more strict. This is something that my mashpia told me many times, is that uh, parents have a choice. Kids don't turn out like their parents. Your child can either be, uh, your child can either be less from than you or so from than you. So much so from he calls you a guy. That's <laughs> so you can have. You can have a child who's significantly more religious than you that makes you uncomfortable. Or a child who's significantly less, but you don't. There aren't a lot of parents whose children are like them. So you got to pick which one you want. I think that's what the Rebbe is saying in Dalit. 
And in hate, he says, uh, you should be somewhat heartened by the fact that his chumras are halachic chumras that would, in theory, encourage him also to honor his father and mother more, because that should lead to more kavitz of And even though right now there's a challenge in your relationship, the Rebbe trusts that it will improve.